I asked you to come and be on this podcast because I'm really fascinated with your art and how that has evolved since the London bombings in 2005. And you talk about, for those of you who don't know, Jill was a double amputee because she was um, in the bombings, um, standing two people away, was it Jill? Um, from a suicide, one, one person away from yeah. the suicide yeah. bomber and the story is incredible. You talk about life number one and life number two. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what do you mean by that? Like, who was Jill before the bombings and who is Jill now? This is Reignited, where together we will meet interesting people who have a curious message for the world. They'll tell us about their experiences so that we can all reignite our lives. I'm super excited about our interview today because every time I've heard this person speak, I've taken something away from them and their messages are so powerful. So I'm super excited to welcome Jill Hicks today. She is a hi. She is a thinker, creator, and communicator. So she wow. has an incredible story. Um, and has chosen three symbols to sort of introduce herself. Um, so, Jill, what did you decide upon and why did you choose those symbols? So I must just say, Bill, I love this idea of, of talking around who, who I am through three symbols. And it was actually really hard as a task because there was so much that I thought, but this, but that. But I, for, for me it's come down. So I took a while, I took a while on the exercise and it's come down to very, very first and foremost, the heart. And the heart, perhaps not for the obvious reason of love being first, but for me that the heart symbolises absolute life yeah. and how there hasn't been a moment in the last 15 years when losing my life was very real um, and, a, and a challenge to fight back to be here, um, that my heart had stopped for, I'm told, 28 minutes. And now I, I think I listen to my heartbeat and I detach from that almost that I'm, you know, the third person removed and I listen to my heartbeat with just complete awe that it, that I'm here, that it's still going. So for me, the heart symbolising life and then, of course, um, how we've all come to know it, which is love. And um, I guess if I entwined those two things, it would be the importance of having a love for life. Yeah. Uh, the second symbol um, is a footprint. I am absolutely uh, fascinated continuously pondering, um, filling most of my waking thoughts around what does it mean to leave a footprint when you no longer have feet yes. or legs? And, again, for me being in the position of a double amputee, it really got to me. It really got to me, this, this idea of, of loss of connection with the ground mm. and what that means coming up to me, so to feel that I'm on, you know, on the ground and then also what I'm giving the ground back. So this transferal yeah. of relationship, what a, what a footprint symbolises. Um, I paint a lot using footprints and in my painting and artwork it's, it's absolutely about humanity and I guess the anonymity of who we are as we're standing in a footprint, yeah. but the but I think that the overall resounding personal thing for me is a footprint being a lasting legacy. Yeah. So definitely. what are we, what am I giving? What am I leaving behind? And how is that greater than just an impression on the ground? And then my last symbol, of course is the beloved paintbrush um, and just, wow, you know, what, what an experience, what an overwhelming joy is an underrated word, um, 
something happens when you're with the canvas. Something just happens. And I, I love this, I, this thing for me that happens is I create the work and then suddenly the work is its own being. And I look at it not as a, as a mother, but I look at it as, wow, you know, and the work then speaks back to me sometimes in very different ways than I had anticipated when I was creating it. So, um, yeah, a paintbrush, um, a footprint and a heart yeah. is how I would, uh, the three things that I would use to talk about me. Yeah, so all very powerful symbols that really introduce you and what you're about um, as far as life, love, leaving a mark um, and and the creativity that's come through. Yeah. So I asked you to come and be on this podcast because I'm really fascinated with your art and how that has evolved since the London bombings in 2005. And you talk about, for those of you who don't know, Jill was a double amputee because she was um, in the bombings, um, standing two people away, was it, Jill, um, from a suicide, one. Uh, one person away from yeah. the suicide bomber and the story is incredible. You talk about life number one and life number two. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what do you mean by that? Like, Who was Jill before the bombings and who is Jill now? Um. It's, it's, it's actually really interesting for me even to reflect upon it because, because it's, it is like talking about someone whom I've met in the past, some, some idea of life that is literally a lifetime ago, and yet there are threads of her that have come into my life number two that I find actually reassuring and comforting to to know that you can go through such extreme trauma and life and life changing experience and still have something that's you and so for me it's very precious those threads that have remained I hold on to dearly one of the threads I have to laugh about is so in my previous life I worked in architecture and design um, I lived a very hard, fast life in London. Um, I spent probably, gosh, nearly 24 years, 25 years in London. So I considered myself absolutely a, a Londoner in an, in an extraordinary time to be there, which was a time of cool Britannia, of Tony Blair coming into office, um, oasis of the whole, um, you know, the the cool British artist mo- moments. It was just extraordinary. Tate Modern, um, the Design Museum, and I was there. And I I remember being a complete workaholic because I had all of these self imposed ideas. And gosh, Bell how I wish I could transport back to that moment in my life as this fantastic young person and just say, go on the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go do stuff. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Do stuff because one day you might not have legs, you know, or one day it, it might just change. Do the stuff. And, and I just felt so compelled to further my career. It was very much about feeling um, less than my my peers and my counterparts in the UK. Um, and look, I fell into all the traps. I, I started off in London as that wonderful, you know, that the, the beautiful Adelaide thing of of coming from a smaller city where it's still okay to talk to people at bus stops yeah. and 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 say good morning and I was I was that person and and how quickly you 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 fall into the the almost the etiquette the unwritten etiquette of you know you don't talk to people you don't look at people and I started smoking I started smoking not just a couple of cigarettes yeah. I smoked 
almost 40 a day. Um, I drank a lot of gin. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I've always loved Audrey Hepburn and I used to collect um, little tiny uh, winkle picker stilettos and I was tiny and I would I was sort of nimble and fast and I would just, you know, get get around and, mm. and be there in the scene. And I remember trying to give up cigarettes and I thought, I know, I'll start smoking a pipe. <laughs> and um, so I'd be at the front of, because it was still not okay to smoke in, indoors in that time, and I'd be at the front of the building trying to pack this sort of almost Sherlock Holmes-looking contraction and um, then I realised, no, this isn't really going to work. So I started smoking cigars and smoking probably 10 cigars a day, which is, you know, and, and I think I'm saying all of this because I was the person that wore black with pride because of my profession and um, I smoked because I thought that was, you know, what we did. And it's really interesting when you never expect to be in a world event like a terrorist attack mm. and not saying that being cool is, is like an immunity or, or a special power, but it's just you, you don't think those sorts of things are ever going to happen to you because, hey, it, you know, it's never you. So it's it like, you're, be, yeah, that happens to other people when, and you're in your bubble right. when I'm working hard and I'm living the lifestyle. It's really interesting because I would say that, you know, at 10 to 9 on July the 7th, which was a Thursday in 2005, that to me is the deep demarcation moment of the absolute end of life as I knew it. Mm. And so everything before that, was life number one, and the the difference when when you're when you've lost life. So I I, w- I would call it a bereavement as such because I lost a life that I knew. I lost a very much a freedom yeah. that I took for granted, and a, and a freedom in many ways, a freedom physically, a freedom mentally. Um, sometimes that wonderful, blissful state that we can get ourselves into where we do think we're immune from, even from smoking ridiculous amounts of tobacco and whatever, how dare I do that with an arrogance of thinking, well, I'm, I'm not going to get lung cancer, why would I? Or, you know, the, that person I look at now with, on many levels and just think, you are an intelligent, educated professional person what were you thinking yeah wow um how did you you start life number two how did um, that evolve for me it was it was in the in the carriage actually so we were in the carriage for about an hour before rescue could reach us and I didn't know that I'd lost both of my legs but this incredible presence for me and I talk about it in no other way that I've found that life and death presented itself in two opposing voices and it was death that first came to me in this beautiful female voice and it said very very gently Jill you've lost both of your legs you do not want to live like this come with me and it was this sense of death being something alternative, definitely somewhere else, and something that was so unimaginable in its beauty. That's that's everything that I was feeling. And as I was preparing to say, absolutely, I'm going to come with this beautiful voice, um, an, an opposing voice of I, I call life, stepped in, was angry, and it said to me, how dare you? There is so much that you need to do. doesn't matter whether you have legs, whether you don't have legs. You have got to, you know, step up. Um, and I listened to that. And, and it, it, my whole 
idea of what it means to be changed in that moment. Yeah. Because and it's and I must say it is and I I'll have to I have to use the word bloody. It is bloody lonely having that knowledge that our lives count so much that we need to contribute. Yeah. It's 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 a big thing to emerge from that scene and to have this sense of so what is it I'm meant to do? What 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 am I meant to be doing? Yeah. But can to you, know that there must be something. Can you explain that loneliness? Well, it's like living through, it's like living with a perspex shield between you and real life. And it's been very interesting examining this and those feelings I had 15 years ago with what we're currently going through with the pandemic. Because I remember coming out from hospital and it was, I was in hospital three and a half months and a darling friend driving me from the hospital and watching, you know, life go on as normal on the streets of London and people having a cigarette and laughing and being on their phones. And, and I wanted to scream, you know, just to say, but don't you realise, <laughs> you know, the world's changed. And then I, I had to sort of take stock to say, no, no, my world has changed. Mm. Their world has kept going. Yeah. And the difference now is that our world has changed collectively and to me, it's like, wow, yes, yeah. you all get it now. We all get it. it you know, this, is, this is huge. Our lives and what we place value on, and it, it was, it's like everything that I, I valued, you know, I went back to my office. People were still having the same meeting that they were having six months ago. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, okay, it, this is insanity. Yeah. You know, I get it. Yeah. And, and and it's like looking through a different lens. And that that's lonely because it's hard to say to people that that were very much in the space where I was in life number one, who haven't had the traumatic severing of that time. It's very hard to be the messenger to say, hey, you know, maybe you should value stuff while you've got it. Yeah. Maybe you should value health. Maybe maybe we should move a bit more or, you know, treasure everything. Yeah. Um, that's hard. Yeah, and it's very hard, isn't it, when you go through such a huge experience and life-changing event to have other people even remotely understand what has shifted yeah. in, internally for you as well. Absolutely. And especially when then people will say, oh, you know, it's so inspiring what you've done. No, it, and it doesn't feel like that at all. It's just, no, no, I was given something and that was my experience, but actually it's, it's, it's hard pulling it off. It's hard um, staying connected and true to that experience and batting away all the rubbish that keeps wanting to infiltrate your life yeah. because, hey, it's 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 wonderful to even say, oh, look, I'm living back in a suburban setting. I'm blessed to be a mum. We've got this crazy rescue dog. Isn't this all great? <laughs> um, yes, it is. Mm. But it's also hard to just say, but I still need to hold true to the to the um, the magnitude of that gift in a moment between life and death. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that you set up was Mad for Peace um, after the bombings. What Can you just explain why you would do that? <laughs> um, well, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just thought I'd never, you know, again, being a, in architecture and design, peace wasn't something that entered my realm. Uh, you know, I, it was something I read about of course, something I'd watched things, something I felt terribly sad for people that whose lives were destroyed by war and conflict, but it had nothing to do with me. And I, I, I examined the idea of, well, actually, if I felt like that, then perhaps lots of people feel like that. And maybe the idea of doing something within the peace space 
is where I need to be. And so I, was, I sort of was trying different feelers because going back wasn't the option. Yeah. So it was, was going forward and I thought, well, I don't know what, what happens in peace really. And, um, and I was quite surprised to, to find out how, because of the struggle for funding with all the NGOs and things, it was like actually they're all quite, they're all quite at each other, you know. Uh, it's quite competitive. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, dear. Um, but I, I felt that my what I had to say and what I had to communicate was very much about um, the, the reality of what had happened in terms of being stripped of an identity and this, uh, this um, label that I was given. So for me it was very much a very tight piece of communication around how powerful it was to be labelled one unknown, estimated female, when I was taken to hospital. And to me, that was everything. So it was how do I communicate that and why is that important and how does that work in a backdrop of, backdrop of how we all need to contribute to an idea of what peace actually is. Um, so MAD was a, an acronym for making a difference, but I also really loved this idea that actually I am a bit mad. You know, it's it's okay to be angry. Yeah. I'm not, I, I can be completely void of, of hatred and bitterness and wanting retribution. That, that's all good. And I think I've, I've tried to identify why I don't have those feelings to me, what's come through very strongly is throughout the rescue, throughout my time in hospital, all I felt was this immense love. And that came through my hand being held, my face being stroked, people softly speaking to me, and just this sense of care and, and love. And that that to me, again, made the difference between what am I emerging into? What's my new world? My new world is filled with these amazing people that are loving me. Wow. So you had that you had, took away everything. You had a different lens again in how you saw that. Different because lens. I wonder yeah. whether other people who had one unknown estimated female would react in a completely different way of I don't have an identity, I don't, but you're seeing it as how yeah. wonderful that I wasn't treated any differently that they actually came back it came back to care yeah and I and I felt that that's what I need to talk about that's what needs to be said that's what needs to come through in my every piece of communication of how important it is for us to be grounded and reminded that we are absolutely interconnected and that we are we are reliant on each other for a sustained life. And every time we see each other as the enemy, as the other, um, we are destroying that little piece of humanity that is vital for our longevity. Every time we act upon ignorance, um, upon fear, we are destroying that piece of humanity that's essential for, for our continuation and so that to me was loud and clear and then that's why I felt compelled to go straight to trying to understand the why that you know why did this happen these were you know British lads um born raised in Britain why did this happen and I went to the community up in the north of the UK Leeds where three of the four bombers came from. And, again, on this quest of, you know, what is peace, um, I, I was very hesitant of the sense of, my God, I don't want to be riding in here as, you know, holier than thou on my horse and yeah. saying, oh, it's okay, I'm here. It, absolutely not. It, it, was a, it, was, it was a sense of how do we change this? Yeah. How do we work together to find out what's happened here? Um, and I, I was, you know, I, I, I had very little understanding or knowledge of, of a different faith. I, you know, I've always been a very 
spiritual person, but you know, raised as a in a in a Christian household. But you know, as I said, it's not something that fills my filled my everyday. And so I was fascinated to understand to say, you know, is what I'm reading is that what it's about? Is it about all of these things that people think they're getting when they're becoming a suicide bomber? Is it really that mm. ridiculous? And so I went to Leeds and I, I met with the the, the immediate um, Muslim community there who knew these lads, who whose their lives were destroyed by this happening. And we just, there were no words. We just hugged. We just said, what do we do? How do we do this together? And that was, for me, the beginnings of a real sense of peace needs to be where you come together in in a really hard time to say, let's put whatever aside, let's face this together and build something together. And so what we ended up doing extraordinarily um, is I, I suggested, look, it has to be big. So whatever we do has to be big. You know, and it has to be big in terms of what it means. And it's not only symbolism. It has to, it has to really be a project or a piece of work that really gets to people in their hearts. And so I said, well, what if I walked from Leeds down to London and of course, as a double amputee on prosthetic legs. So how far, and is, far is that? The, the community said, "Great, what a great <laughs> idea!" So, so we created this project called Walk Talk. It was um, 2007, 2008, so not long after the bombing. And I walked from Leeds to London. I said, "This isn't to raise money." I just want people to come and have those difficult conversations with the other. Yeah. Talk it out. Find after a mile that moment where you connect. And it was it was amazing. And but coming back to peace, it, you know, my, my memory was people joining the walk. And by the time I'd gone, so it took a month on the road and we went through 22 towns and cities or something. So it was, it's, it's exhausting, you know. And um, and I remember people joining and we'd set off about 7 a.m. every morning. And by this time, sort of a few weeks in, I was swearing quite a bit, you know, because <laughs> uh, it was it was pretty Tough. uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, and I remember someone saying to me, oh, we weren't expecting you to be like this at all. We've, we, <laughs> we thought it would be quite a peaceful experience. And I said, what? This is peace. Yeah. This is peace is hard. Yeah. It's it's not it's not a, a soft, touchy, oh, let's all just it, to me that's not what peace is. Peace is making a, a, an absolute choice to say, I value our lives working far, working better together more than I value war and yeah. having it torn apart. Yeah. I value, you know us as a as a humanity together more than I do the consequences of what being apart is. And that's tough. Mm. It's a t- tough road. Um, and, and I think coming through that for me, it was so really peace is in the doing. And mm. I just felt I don't need to keep talking about peace. It, it's often it's often a, a subject, a topic that that people have I could see the shutters going down and I thought, mm. well, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah. If the shutters are going down, um, then I'm not I'm not getting through to anyone. So I just stopped using the word. Yeah. And I really love that idea of that that peace is hard, you know, that it's not all roses and let's all hold hands together and sing lovely songs and things like I, that. I you think know, that's it's, the outcome. And yeah. I think the love outcome is when you can hold the hand of a stranger mm. um, and feel that that you know that's okay that that whatever differences you have are all part of the the, the mix of life yeah um, but, but we can unite on the things that really bring us together which is our common humanity this pandemic is is a fantastic example of we are all facing exactly the same threat 
and some of us are facing it very differently than others, hmm. um, purely on where we're based in the world. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, we can feel the empathy for each other because we, we understand, hey, we're all isolating, we're all finding new ways to be, um, but, for, but there's still this hierarchy of, of, you know, privilege in the world of some of us are able to isolate and to feel safer than others. And, yeah. But we've still got this one thread that joins us and it's an extraordinary time yeah. um, in, our, in our existence, I think. Yeah, it is definitely. And what will emerge from this? I know you're talking about emergence in your your art at the moment um, yeah. as well. Will yeah. be very interesting. Yeah. Just before we move on to your art, the what did you find the most challenging as far as find like working with peace? Because you worked with terrorists and you know the whole spectrum. You know, and you talk about the fact that there wasn't any anger towards them and things like that. Like, how does that all sit together when you're Striving for a message of peace, you're talking with terrorists and you've had an experience where a suicide bomber has, um, you know, yeah, really um, impacted your life. I, I think I think because I was so calm within myself and so sure about the insights from my experience, so, so that I was coming from a place of absolute fact, you know, somebody detonated a bomb looking at me, not knowing me and deciding that I was the enemy and that I was effectively the other and making his choice based on complete and utter ignorance. Fact. Fact, um, I've lost my legs. Um, it's It's been a horrific experience of a life changing, completely life-changing one, but how I was brought through that whole experience by a sense of strangers absolutely giving me their love. Again, not knowing who I was, but how that didn't matter one single bit, didn't matter. All that mattered was that I was a, a precious human being. Those to me are the most valuable set of facts for me to take to a table to be able to talk to someone um, who is coming from a place of wanting to be right, feeling they need to justify a righteousness through whatever means. That could be through the power of using the, using the word God, and that's the ultimate justification. Um, but it's but they can't mess with the facts, and yeah. it's been incredibly powerful um, for me to work with young people who have been susceptible to ideas of um, power and ideas of purpose, and finding their purpose in life by becoming something that they think is 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 a glorious position to hold, and for me to be able to challenge those ideals with the facts and to be completely calm about it. And, um, you know, we've, I've gone into prisons in the UK. I've, I've had people at my home. I've worked extensively with, with police. Um, and, again, it's, it's, I think, for me, in that particular encountering violent extremism work, it's very hard because you don't have a measure for success. You know, I'm one of many, many influences and many, many people that are trying to sway and turn um, someone's idea of what is right. Mm. And so I, I will never know what's been a success. I, I, I always come back to one, one lad I was working with in the UK and he was 15, and he said to me, um, we were to, sort of speaking regularly for about six months, and at the end of six months he said to me, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to uni or I'm going to go to uni, I'm going to, you know, do this and I'm not going to be an extremist. And I said, oh, that's amazing. You know, like could you maybe just tell me what it is I've said or done that's really helped you? And he said, oh, 
nothing really. I just love soccer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Yes. You know. But so I think I think in proportion, you know, it's it's still it's it's a it's a bit it's a very rare occurrence. Uh, and I don't say that across the world. I have many friends. It's a, it's it's a harrowing regular occurrence of of um, violent extremism. But in in our lives, it's still a, a, a very um, you know rare thing to happen. And I think that's that's a credit to our society um, and a credit to all that are doing so much behind the scenes to mm. to plant the seeds of doubt and to to offer an alternative to a, a set of ideas. Um, part of the work I've been exploring with art is just challenging this sense of, um, I guess, stalemate in a way okay. that you can't you can't bomb an idea. This is this is our whole problem, you know. If we could bomb an idea, then there would be no more wars, surely, you know. Yeah. Or the tactics of of you know trying to eradicate violent extremism would would have already worked. You can't bomb an idea, and we've got to meet ideas with stronger ideas yeah. and more persuasive ideas. And that's you know that's the that's the the, the environment. In, yeah. in which I constantly hover yeah. of how where are the ideas that are that are challenging destructiveness and and anything that's um, not furthering uh, the the growth of of humanity. Yeah, and I think the message and the communication constantly um, that you talk about as well, and having that intangible ripple effect that you can't quantify. Um, but just speaking your truth and being in in what you your meaning and purpose is um, seems to be what's playing it's out. Tough, you know, from, from being a, a professional in life one to yeah. now having all of that gone and just to say, well, maybe maybe what I'm doing is effective, maybe it's not. You know, we've just got to keep going. And and I was reminded, um, I was on a plane going to Karatha. And I was working in Karatha, which is uh, rural. Can I say rural? Well, uh, sort of out incredible, isn't it? incredible <laughs> country in Western yeah. Australia. Incredible. Uh, the the it, it, I, I was just wow. The, it, it's like you could feel the spirit in the soil. It was just magic, magical land. Um, but I'd never been to Karatha before, and and, and I have troubles flying. Um, because if I'm in a, I can't have my prosthetics go to 90 degree angles, so they have to be right out. So, I, so any any sort of small plane seating is a nightmare for me. Anyway, so I was, there was only little planes that went out to Karath, and I remember sitting in this small plane, and it was a two hour journey, and for the first hour I was just you know squirming and 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 I guess reassessing, you know that that were my thoughts of just. What am I doing? You know, what, what I just maybe I should rethink. Maybe I should just go back to to the wonderful worlds of design and yeah. and just be back to who I was. You know, have a regular pay packet. That wow, you know, that would be amazing um, to be on salary. And an hour into the journey, I felt a tap on my shoulder, and this young woman gave me a note. So complete stranger. She gave me a note, and this note was just, Belle, it was just, I couldn't have written it better myself. It was just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And basically it said, you know, thank you for advocating for love and for for wanting more than tolerance. So she picked up all of these things. You know, thank you for... Um, asking us to think of peace as a verb mm. and something we do rather than a state of being ideal. Um, just this note went on and on and she just said, I, I hope you enjoy your time in Karatha. Um, 
you know, basically thank you for the impact you've given me, you've had on me. Um, yours truly and signed it off, Sarah, the girl in 8A. Yep. And I was just, wow. Mm. So she taught me in that one note, she taught me that actually it really matters what we do and what we say really matters because someone's always listening yes someone's always watching and we might not always get that feedback um that what we're doing is having an impact but she gave me that incredible gift and and the original is in a in a frame um just at the end of my desk and I use it as a constant reminder to say it, it, it matters keep getting up keep doing the stuff because someone's listening yeah, definitely. And particularly when you're having a moment of doubt and what am I doing, <laughs> you know, for it to come forward. We don't know the impact of our words and and actually telling people what an impact they have had on our lives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now you've recently released MAD as music, art and discussion. So do you want so to talk about I'm still saying MAD. I'm yeah. still completely mad. Um, <laughs> Um, and I, I yeah, I, I just thought, well, actually, again, in, in a constantly, uh, it's, it's important to be fresh. It's important to keep growing. It's important for me to keep exploring new channels. So for me, everything is about communication. Yeah. It's how am I saying it? How am I doing it? And let's just keep trying new things. Yeah. And so I thought a lot around MAD and and. And actually, if the shutters are coming down on people when I talk about peace, then if I don't talk about the word peace and I talk about it as something we do, then maybe I can express this through art and through music and absolutely to to have discussions around um, how how we are all contributing to the world in our immediate sense and the world at large. Yeah. So music, art, discussion to me was everything. Yeah, and that sense of you talked about your whole life has been influenced by art and creativity and that's how you, you know, using the symbol so to funny. introduce so, yourself. So a little story that I never, no one ever knows about really is um, so all I've ever wanted to do is be an artist right from the word go. And really? um, I remember my, my mother being brought into primary school and I had a the head teacher there talking to my mum and I and he said, look, Jill's art work is quite exceptional. Like this is what other kids are doing. This is what Jill's doing. So, you know, I'd, I'd sort of left stick figures long behind and was doing <laughs> these extraordinary sort of, you know, Monet's or whatever what I was doing. And... Um, and he was basically trying to say to my mum, what, what is it you would like to do? And my mum, bless her, this darling person, just sort of said, oh, well, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Very good, Jenny. And, and I just thought the difference in one generation, how I would be with my daughter, yeah. that if, you know, I'd be, right, let's get her to the best art school, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's a prodigy. Yeah, let's <laughs> um, embrace this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... So, yes, I, I, it's all I'd ever wanted to do. And my father had said, absolutely not. You would, you'll, you'll be, you know, looking for handouts. You'll be hand-to-mouth. You'll never, never make a success, a success of anything. You'll never have any money. And absolutely not. And so he squashed all those ideas. So for me, you know, being free and being in that world in London Although I wasn't painting, I was sort of at the periphery of it, and that was that was kind of, you know, being wicked enough. Yeah. Um, but now being able to just be with it, it's just that's that's where my soul absolutely is. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about some of your artwork. So, oh, actually, we'll go to music first. So, why music? Were you a singer? So I've, I've I've always sung. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, a jazz person by trade and uh, when the bombings happened, so it took me a long time. You, you won't believe it because the amount of 
talking I do now, but um, <laughs> it took me a long time to learn how to talk. Lost a lot of my hearing. I have a half half an eardrum. My lung capacity is greatly reduced, and it took me a long time to learn how to speak again. And um, with that went the singing. So singing has always been a big part of my life, and I wasn't able to sing. And so I just left music aside and thought, well, I, I won't hurt myself more by even trying to entertain it. I'll just leave it. Um, I, I mean, I've sung on records that were that were released in the UK prior to the bombings. Um, they were they ended up being dance records that were big in Japan. You know. <laughs> All of these things I'm telling you, Bill, you know. And, yeah, it was a big part of of my life and it was only in 2015, so recently, that a very dear and wonderful friend who's a great musician, uh, Gary Burrows, approached me and he said, "Uh, look, I've, I've written a song and it's about peace and I'd love you to sing on it. And, of, of course, I just, oh, okay. And we went to the studio and I I wasn't able to get anything out and it was really very, very emotional. And I said to him, no, it's there, it's there and I, I've got to do this. Can I have another chance? I said, okay. So we went back and out it came and the voice was still with us. So we've done some live gigs um, so I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> in little doses. So I can't, I probably wouldn't be able to do a whole gig now on my own. Um, but it's it's back and, you know, wow. So the, the blogs I write now will always feature uh, some music that I, I find moving, challenging, and I think it's yet, another way to reach the soul yeah definitely you know, it we don't need works on so many exactly. levels doesn't it and yeah. we don't need to have the same language to hear the same music mm. um so i think there's, there's something very special about it and for me being you know someone who sings who sings again um it, it's yeah wow yeah. Amazing. what's it like for so, you to have your voice back i can't begin to tell you how emotional it is mm. uh, I I can start crying right now it is it, because again it's it's one of the things that if it's you if it's if it's true to you to who you are it's like it's like finding yourself over and over and over again and the familiarity and yet the awkwardness you know of being back in a microphone and mm. and having an audience and and just feeling that you know the vulnerability of it all, yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, vulnerable, and yet the desperate need to get it out. Yeah. You know, really interesting um, yeah. contradiction of of emotion. Yeah, yeah. And I sort of relate that to you know my rooms without therapy. Quite often, people are trying to find that thing, and they know it's part of them, but it's blocked and can't quite grasp it. But when they yeah. do, it's so liberating and. You know, quite often in sessions, that's when I get emotional is when people have, you know, found it and and you can see them light and once up. You let, once, you, once you've got that lid off, mm. you know, it's like. Yeah, here it is. Any opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jill, we've heard enough now. <laughs> anyway, one, two, one, two, three. Okay. <laughs> we could have a sing-along. Oh, uh, I'll click my fingers or something. <laughs> and so your art features, you talked about the footprint um, earlier. And a lot of your art does have some reference to the footprint um, as well. So do you want to explain, what are you hoping people get from your art when they experience it? Um, A sense of um, that we are part of a larger sense of, of, of 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 a global idea of who we are. Um, uh, for me, I'm, I, I want to try and impart the, the feeling I get whenever I'm at the ocean, and that is when I'm at the ocean, I, I feel completely insignificant and yet absolutely significant 
I feel like I'm telling this majestic body of water my problems and yet it's sort of washing in and washing out and saying, oh, yes, Jill, yes, I've heard this before, dear. Don't worry. And so it's this sense of, 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 yeah, being completely insignificant and here for a, a tiny, tiny fraction of time, so let it go. Um, but whilst you're here, actually one one life can make a difference. So it's again full of contradiction, yeah. full of full of charge of you know what what uh, what you do matters. Leave leave a footprint. Leave a footprint that counts. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And that that juxtaposition that sits there together. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That's really powerful, isn't it? And some recent work I did was with sand you know and again just amazing so I've I've sort of got the actual of sand on canvas and then I've been we use a a wonderful guy um Chris to to do all the print print work and um you know he captures it at this moment and then I've put the two together to say well look here's gravity just doing its thing and life's continuing, and here's the sand still falling and changing and morphing into a completely different picture, and then here's the snapshot of the print. And then I make fabrics from those artworks because, again, for me, I'm, I'm curious as to if you're wearing something, will that start the conversation? Mm. You know, um, like I, I have a little scarf here. Okay, and this this artwork was called Black and White and it was all around the idea of perhaps, you know, our ideas need to find a middle way. Perhaps we we can't have this situation where we're both right. And I was just fascinated that if I was wearing this, does that offer a moment of of conversation? If, If we were at a bus stop and you said to me, oh, that's an interesting scarf, and I was then able to share with you and say, well, yes, this is all about yeah, <laughs> and yeah. the story of the art and, and how that could be the basis of, of a really incredible conversation where you move away from talking about the weather and talking about where you both stand. Yeah. You know, wow. So that was, that was the idea um, around wearable, wearable pieces and, um, and I just then thought, I don't want to stop at scarves. <laughs> I want to branch out into kimonos. Yeah. So, um, so the kimonos will will be the the hot new thing in, in, at Christmas time yeah, with, cool. with the art pieces. Yeah, nice. and and I think that symbolism that shines through. So, for those of you who are listening and couldn't see what Jill was holding up, um, it's a black and white scarf and the fo- little footprints on it. Um, and I love that metaphor of black and white. And there was grey there too, mm. wasn't there? Yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you get from creating? Or what does it do for oh you? Oh my god, it's like it's like a transcendental experience for me. Uh, it's like I, I, I crave it. So, if I'm if I'm not able to get to the studio, um, I have another studio here at home. Um, so, and I work from Central Studios in, in in Adelaide. If I'm if I'm not able to be with a, a piece, uh, I I get. I won't say cranky. I get, I get, I get sort of displaced. I, I, I feel completely displaced. Of I don't know where to channel the energy, and and when I'm working on a piece, it it it, it, it I just hear it so loudly in my head of what it is I need to be saying on this canvas, and out it comes, and it's just wow. And then I sit with it, and I. I, you know, let it talk back to me. And it's this complete relationship. It, it is the most extraordinary experience uh, yeah. that, that is almost indescribable unless there's something in someone's life where they say, that's how I feel about playing a sport or that's how I feel when I'm listening to, you know, orchestral music. It, it's it's a complete transcendental state of of being somewhere else, it, yeah. it just extraordinary, and and it's become something that I crave. So it's a it's yeah, it's a real sense of oh, I want more of that. So you it's know, part of your I, being, part of my being. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, and I think there's something with art too, and I know people get scared of art sometimes, but when I work with people through some of their big stuff in their life, um, the art speaking back to them is so powerful and, you know, it may seem random but it's actually not and we've gone yeah. beyond words but also yeah. the fact that it can speak and, and inform yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And it's almost like it's answering a question that you've posed. Yes. And and how, because you've answered it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you've created it. So, again, it plays to me. I, I, I talk a lot around, you know, everything we need, we already have. Yeah. And when you sit with that for a while, that's a very powerful statement because you can say, oh, I don't have this. No, no, everything we actually need, we already have. And that could also be the ability to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it, it's all there. And so to me, that's what painting um, almost brings to life or justifies that that statement is it's answering something that you've asked it and it's, wow, because yeah. it's come from you. Yeah, You've definitely. answered your question. Yeah, definitely. Now, a couple of years ago, you were painted by Ando. Um, so what was it like having your portrait done, not being oh, on I the other side? Him. I loved him so much. Yeah, um, so we were together for five hours in that session. Um, and I must say, I forgot that it was being filmed. I, I forgot that this was what we were doing. I, I was completely raw and in absolute what I thought was a private conversation with Arndon. And it's funny watching it back because I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, rarely do I cry and I cried and I laughed and I cried a bit more and it, it was one of the most extraordinary interviews I think ever been captured. And then to have this artwork, um, which now hangs in my home, um, just wonderful, beautiful. You know, I, I mean, I remember getting the email and just thinking, wow, Ando wants to paint me. How, yeah. how incredible is that? You know, yeah. so... It, I'm very grateful for the experience, actually, because it's a it's a capturing of a moment that was really raw and 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 yet beautiful. Yeah, know? yeah. And so his art's able to express that. But I think he's in my top three interviewers, actually, Ando, oh, because really? yeah. because he holds an energy and a space and so truly right. listens. Yeah. yeah, and he's there with he you, and it right. comes back to that humanity. I think yeah. um, it's he unconditional. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, and I found that also with Richard Feidler. So yeah. I did uh, conversations with Richard Feidler and um, same thing, it completely lost in the conversation. And it was his wonderful producer at the time that had to remind us, 30 seconds, you know, quick. <laughs> yeah. and, and I listened to that back now as well. I just think, oh, that, yeah, we entered it really abruptly because the the conversation was real. Yeah. You know? and, and, and what a gifted um well, I don't want to say interviewer, a gifted person he is, exactly as Arne, of, of really caring and wanting to know, inquisitive yeah. about the person yeah. in a beautiful, empathetic way. Yeah, amazing. And I sense that you talk about your curiosity and just looking at things and, and trying to work through them. So before we finish, what's your main message for the world? Like when we talk about discussion and speaking. It's interesting now because we're, we're all in a space of, of this COVID-19 pandemic and I think, I think the, the message perhaps will be received very differently because we're all in a, in a very surreal space that no one could have anticipated, um, that we're all... We're all sharing lots of tips of how are you doing, especially for anyone in Australia, anyone out of Australia, it's hilarious that we're all calling it ISO, yeah. you know, yes. in Australia. How are you yeah. doing your ISO? Um, <laughs> you know, but I think, I think for me it's the greatest realisation for every living person is that we will one day end. And that guarantee of our ending, of our death, 
should be our greatest motivator. And it should be our greatest motivator to say, what am I doing with my life? What areas am I in love with? What areas do I absolutely hate and need to change? Mm. And that we should always have a sense of urgency because, because having a guaranteed end means that we don't have a lot of time. Our time is not endless. Mm. So it, it, I, I don't want to sound like a cliche. I want this to sound very, very, very real in that we must live a life that we can reflect upon to say, wow, I'm really pleased with that. Yeah. I did a really good job. Yeah. I did a really good job while I was here. I've I've felt pain and, and again I, I don't I, I've embraced it all with even the whole spectrum of feeling and even feeling pain and discomfort and I and I just say, well, you know, that's a signal of being alive. Yeah. How fantastic. And being alive comes with everything. And so it's accepting that, you know, your plate of everything is is the is the absolute payoff for being alive and for our death and, and our understanding that we will end to be our greatest motivator for, for living a life well lived and having us having a sense of on our end moment. Please, if we get that, to have a reflection to say, "Wow, that was that was a great ride." Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did that well. Yeah, I did that life well. That that to me is is and 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 to be able to even talk about that now in this time has released some of that loneliness in in that knowledge for me. So people get some sort of sense of. Yeah, I think we've all got a, we've all had a very different experience of of fear of contracting something that may kill us. A fear of of if I just go to the supermarket and touch a trolley that someone else has touched, I might get this terrible thing and I might die, and and that changes our way of thinking, our way of being. This fear of I may die from something horrific. Um, so I best just stay inside and be safe. That to me is we're in now a headspace that perhaps we, we don't normally occupy, and it's to use that mind moment to say, okay, so let's re-examine my life, and and hence why I'm I'm sort of you know spending a lot of time writing about this idea of emerging. And you know what? What do I want to emerge from and into from this period? Yeah. And how does that enhance this incredible chance that I've been given back to have a life number two, to have a platform in life number two? Not many people get a chance to be able to share their insights. So I'm, I'm always aware and grateful for that um and therefore the insights have to count you know i i don't want to fill the fill the air with space of nonsense you know what comes out of my mouth has to count so um i would say the the realization of of our end should be the greatest motivation of our whole life yeah and that wow i lived at life yeah wow yeah i did that i did that yeah i I know I say this a lot with my guests, but I think time just passes when I hear what you've got to say. And I think it's, oh, it's amazing. And it is wow. <laughs> and I know um, that there's value in in what you've got to say and finding your voice and, and using your art as a way to communicate, you know, is really, really powerful. And it is about having those discussions, whether they're hard, easy, living life, you know, all of that together um, is really, really important. So is there any last parting words that you would like to offer everyone who's listening? No, I just, again, I just think, you know, just for, for, for those listening to really consider that, you know, everything we need we already have and to use this extraordinary time to really 
dig deep and to find all those incredible things that we have. We, we are far more capable than we ever, ever, ever give ourselves credit for. And sometimes we don't know how extraordinary we are until we're shoved in a corner and have to get out of that corner. Mm. And I think that's what this time is about. This yeah. time is, is about the challenge and, and we can do this. And it's that sense of everything you need, you already have. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. live life and use the insights to go back to whatever you need to yeah absolutely and change the stuff you know as I said we're we're, it's a short it's a short time it's a short time and don't please don't spend that time with any regrets of oh why did I spend 10 years in that job that I hated you know that's that's a decade of this wonderful time that we've we've been granted here um so it's yeah use it use it wisely and as i said it's, it's look it's easier said than done i've yeah definitely. i've done it I've, I've wasted wasted the years um but never never again yeah, yeah. thank you jill it's been really insightful yeah, and you, a rich rich conversation so thank you beautiful to be with you thank you for show notes and more information about my guests And to get in touch with me, visit igniteartherapies.com.au.